The home healthcare industry has simply exploded, especially since COVID. And right now, it seems like there are more people that want this service than there are to serve them. Join me as I talk with Michael Slapecki, the CEO for Griswold Home Care, as he talks about their unique business franchising model. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Franchise You. With me today, I have Michael Slapicki, and Michael is the CEO of Griswold Home Care. Welcome, Michael. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Kathleen. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thanks. What's interesting is that you started one month before the pandemic. So thinking about starting with home care one month before the pandemic is pretty incredible. You've been a senior healthcare executive with over 20 years of experience working as a COO, a CFO, all in the international healthcare industry. And I like to note, you have a lot of education with a bachelor's in finance and you have two master's degrees from the University of Toledo, one in accounting and an MBA in finance. So before we get started, tell us a little bit more about your journey to the CEO level at Griswold. Uh, sure. Yeah, I did come up through, um, you know, the finance world. I started my career with KPMG, which is a, you know, very well-known brand, one of the top four accounting firms in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think more importantly, I, I was more of a business person that took a finance route than, you know, a finance and accounting type of a person. Business had always fascinated me, even in as late as, you know, high school and, and college. You know, I was a Forbes magazine reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way through. And I was reading business books from high school and college and just really trying to see the business from a more broad perspective. But even, you know, the, an MBA course is very general to managing a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, I would say some of the most valuable courses were around management. And, and I think that's what's really kind of served me the best, you know, stepping into a a leadership role and and in the CEO role. You know, my colleagues are going to think I fed you that since I'm a management professor. So thank (laughs) you for that. Thank you for that plug for our discipline. But um, why did you move to the healthcare industry? I would say it was a little bit accidental. Uh, I, I was in a similar business that was not in healthcare, but it was a franchised and a company owned staffing and recruiting organization that was a, very large public company. Mm-hmm. I joined that via acquisition of the company I was working for in Ohio. And so our Ohio company uh, that I went to when I left KPMG was acquired by a South Florida-based recruiting and staffing company. And uh, I, after I moved to Florida in 99, I stayed with that company for another five years and was looking for a, for a different opportunity. And I came across a controller position at a home health care franchise company in 2004. Well, that makes sense. Now you must love it because you've stayed in it for quite a while now. Yeah, I wouldn't say I knew what I was getting myself into originally yeah. and thought it was just kind of a health care staffing, but it was home health care, which is a completely different industry. And I had a great team that taught me the ins and outs. And at the time, That company had some company-owned locations, so I really got to cut my teeth in the home health industry in helping our company do better 
and learning operationally how the whole business worked. And so that really helped me, you know, kind of jump start my career in the healthcare industry. Wonderful. And one more thing about you. I was reading up a little bit about you, Michael, and I saw that besides work, you lead a very active life in South Florida. So share your favorite activity. Yeah, definitely. And I'm actually going to connect this activity back to my career as well. But I uh, spend the most time, you know, on my bicycle and it's usually in the dark wee hours. And along with going through a lot of audio books, which, you know, challenge you to think different ways. Uh, But it also gives you some of that downtime to really think about some of the problems you're dealing with day to day. And I've, I've solved more problems in that time on my bike. You know, I still bike three, four or five times a week. And so it is something that serves me well. Oh, I love that because I always think that podcast and learning, that's the best part about this medium of learning is that you can do it while you're actively engaged with something else and think. So let's talk about Griswold Home Care. So Griswold is a business that primarily identifies people in need of assistance and matches them with carefully trained, licensed, bonded, insured, and credentialed individuals who provide the personal care, homemaking, companion care, incidental transportation, and other ancillary supportive services in a variety of settings. But hey, can you tell us a little bit more about the services that Griswold provides? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the home health care industry is curative. It usually is for a period of time following many times a hospital stay or a hospital discharge. And it could be anything from wound care uh, to recovering from a knee replacement, but it's typically only for a certain period of time. And while it does a spectacular job letting people kind of get recovered from an incident, where we come into play is you know, we're t- we take a more holistic approach. And while we're not in the business of providing nurses and doing wound care or anything like that, we like to keep people safe by making sure they're, they're eating well, by making sure their environment is safe. They don't have, you know, trip injuries. We can remind them to take their medications and all of these things stack up to be more of a wellness service to help prevent people from doing another hospital visit or emergency room visit, and just raising the awareness with the family if we observe something that might be going on with mom, and maybe we can get to a primary care physician that could avoid uh, an unnecessary trip to the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's a perfect distinction. Thanks for talking about that, because even when you look at like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they clump it together, kind of home health and personal care aids, but they project it to grow by 25% from 2021 to 2031. And there were already 3.6 million jobs in 2021. What do you think that means for your business? Yeah, so it's 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 a good and a bad, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, we've all seen the, the pinch on the labor force. Mm-hmm. It's surprising how many times you've tried to go to your favorite restaurant and they're now closed Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm-hmm. And it's everybody scrambling to find work you know, we have to figure that out as well. And so we, what we think about in terms of where this is going, it's not going to be a demand issue because of just the aging population. And, you know, people want to stay in their home or at least for as long as they possibly can. That's where they, they're most comfortable. And in fact, that's where they're the safest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to bring not only the best people, but also think 
around technology. So we're only using people to the extent we need to, because we feel like we're going to run out of, you know, we're going to run out of workers before we run out of clients. And so how do we straddle the workforce across the most broad client base that we can? And I think technology is a piece of that. And there's other creative things that we're, we're looking at. Oh, that's fascinating because I know before we got started on our recording, you had mentioned that the industry changed significantly since COVID. What did COVID do? You know, it's, it's funny. So when I joined um, this industry in 2004, for 16 years, I was told that the home is the future center of the healthcare world. We were taking baby steps toward that until 2020. Then all of a sudden, the home was the center of the healthcare world almost overnight. And now there's so much opportunity exploding with hospital at home type programs, uh, you know, visiting, you know, doctors, house calls from doctors, you know, you never heard of that uh, is now recurring. And again, with technology, more and more things can be done in the home that couldn't be done five years ago. And, And it's just, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And they're just, what has happened in the last three years has just been spectacular leap forward in what can be done in the home. Oh, even all the telehealth is just unbelievable. So to your point, who would have thought you could do that? And it's, and it's shown to be very effective. Mm -hmm. And you look at the numbers and it's uh, having somebody come in and just check in and and using technology to take blood pressure and weights and all these types of things can really go a long way. You know, doctors, nurses, the whole healthcare field is stressed. So to the extent we can use people the most efficiently is the way we can keep them in the home. Makes total sense. Well, let's talk a little bit about Griswold because I was fascinated to read. It was started by a woman by the name of Jean Griswold, and she started it in her dining room table in 1982 because she was saddened by an elderly woman's death that she felt could have been prevented with home care. Can you please share the story of your beginnings? Yeah, you just kind of hit the highlights. Um, she was an amazing woman and yeah. she was in a wheelchair. Uh, she had MS. And so no one more than her could appreciate dealing with a disability. And I think that passion is also what uh, made it very attractive for folks to kind of partner with her and, and get started in this business. And I've had the benefit of really getting to know her better even though, you know, she passed away a number of years ago. But during our 40th celebration, we got the family involved. So Kent Griswold was a former CEO. Kent is Gene's son. And then his wife, Lori, also served as a CEO when Kent took a leave of absence. They're both very involved in our 40th anniversary celebration. And Lori, by the way, just joined our board. And so we just now are reconnecting formally, you know, with the family. And she tells so many stories about Jean and who this woman was and how passionate she was for not only the clients, but you could say even more so for the caregivers. And I think that's the piece because that is our product. And that's, you know, being very focused on our caregivers allow us to deliver the best experience to our clients. I think that is so meaningful that, your company was founded by a single person who cared so much. That seems to be the primary word. It's all about the care. 
So um, your business primarily identifies people in need of assistance and matches them with carefully screened, trained, licensed, bonded, insured, and credentialed individuals. And they provide personal care, homemaking, companion care, incidental transportation, and other ancillary supportive services. So can you tell us a little bit more about the actual services you provide at Griswold? Yeah, it's just really doing whatever someone needs that Typically, it's someone that struggles with taking care of themselves. You know, you hear this term ADLs, activities of daily living, <laughs> uh, but that's kind of a technical term, but it's really anything that from, again, cooking and bathing, things that, you know, folks struggle with as they age. And, and obviously, uh, you know, cognitive challenges is a huge thing because many people it's not that they don't want to take care of themselves, but because of their cognitive challenges, they struggle with their self-care. Right. And so being an extra set of hands and an extra set of eyes, and, and we do have some amazing, amazing people. Um, last Friday was National Caregiver Day, and we hosted a virtual luncheon with 15 caregivers across the country. And they were just telling us some spectacular stories where one caregiver just helped a husband write a Valentine's note to, to his wife. And it was just really hard Neat. touch to hear the types of little things because depression is something that we can also help combat. And, you know, depression is something that can be debilitating oh, yeah. and just that social interaction and, and, and battling that social isolation is really makes people's later years much more meaningful. And I think about. What's happened is we live in such a busy society and families are so busy. It's hard for them to get with their elder, elderly loved ones. And you can help provide that. You, you touched on a great thing. And then demographically, I'm a perfect example. You know, I grew up in Ohio. My wife's from Ohio and, you know, our families are in Ohio. And that's very common to have children that are no longer in the same community as their parents. And they mm -hmm. need someone there to help them. Uh, with their their loved ones. Mm -hmm. And I just read about a major rebranding effort that you have rolled out, which is called Live Assured. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, we, we, we kicked this off actually you know, a year and a half ago at our conference, and it was really kind of zeroing in on Griswold. What does it mean? And we did this whole big survey that surveyed our caregivers, both the company owns as well as the franchises, their office staff, our team, franchisees, everything, just to kind of get to the meaning of the brand because everybody likes to focus on just that visual brand, but the visual brand is the outcome of what it really means to be a Griswold company. And, you know, Live Assured evolved out of that survey many times in our prior tagline, if you will, Live Assured is our current tagline, but our prior tagline was only focused on, on the client, you know, giving people the ability to live where they want to live, but it left out everybody else. And so the live assured was really to talk to our caregivers. You know, this is a great company to be a part of. You can live assured. We're going to do things right by you. The clients, you can live assured. We're going to give you a great caregiver. And it goes all the way through the entire organization. It's something that speaks to everybody, not just one stakeholder, but all the stakeholders. Oh, wow, that makes sense. You are exactly right. Taking care of your caregivers is just as important as your clients because you need them all. 
Yeah. And the, the one thing I didn't touch on, sorry, but the, you know, we also have a kind of a sister organization. It's a foundation. It's called the Gene Griswold Foundation. Yes. And about two years ago, we've changed the focus to be on caregiver advancement and education and started uh, providing scholarship opportunities. We've changed lives and we just had a super successful fundraising effort last year. And this year we're giving a hundred thousand dollars with the scholarships out. Oh, wow. And, and, and what's interesting is some of the folks that we're giving scholarships to are going to uh, advance their careers and actually become people that can't even work for us, hmm. you know, and, and they're going to hopefully go up and get a nursing degree or they're going to do something else. And we don't look at it like we're reducing our work pool. We look at it as a way to be aspirational to the next person that wants right. to give care as an opportunity. Ah, oh, that's such a great thing. And you're exactly right. What it will do is bring in referrals and retention and just keep it going so that when folks do move forward, they'll bring someone else into your organization. Oh, that's great. It's really, it's really about, you know, career, mm-hmm. uh, trying to attract more people into providing care. Mm-hmm. Take special people to do it too. It, it absolutely does. Yeah. So you started franchising Griswold right away. Right now, you have roughly 170 franchise locations across 31 states. So let's talk a little bit about franchising at Griswold and what it means. Sure. So I dug, in, I dug into your FDD, and I, I love to do that. And I found just a few fascinating items that I thought we'd talk about. So how you define your territories. So they're defined by population, either 250,000 people or 25,000 senior citizens, which you define as age 65 or older. Can you kind of explain how that was determined? You know, we, we, we issue territories that are larger and we actually even do territories that are smaller, but you know, you're just looking for a, a base, a market, a market that can support, you know, a business. You can have a successful business with, you know, 30, 40 clients. And, you know, you do have to put some definition and, and some of it just goes to, you know, what are your competitors offering and things like that? We tend to err on the side of providing larger markets, but we've shown statistically that that's kind of the, the sweet spot to give folks the opportunity to grow a successful business. That makes sense. I can see that. So I also noticed there are some minimum sales quotas and they ramp up each year until year 10. Can you explain a little bit about that and the rationale? Yeah, I think the rationale is there is a certain level of opportunity that we want our franchisees to achieve. And it's, it's almost, um, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's not how we want successful franchisees. And and even though we do our due diligence and the last thing we want to do is partner with someone, you know, that isn't successful. And I think what this does is just give us an opportunity to talk to folks that maybe, learn that they're not the right fit for the business. I don't want to have a market underdeveloped. And so we use it as a tool, just kind of go back to the drawing board. If folks are falling behind, it's not designed to collect some minimum. It's really designed to talk to an owner and and see like, look, if this isn't a good fit, then let us try to find you a successor. If you're not hitting these relatively modest goals, then you're probably not being successful. You're probably not making money. And I'm not looking to collect your minimums for the next seven years. Gotcha. You know, it's really just about making the right matches. 
What I really liked about it, Michael, is that it provides a normal benchmark, if you will. It helps people see, okay, I should at least get to this goal each year. And I've never seen a company do it by 10 years, year over year. And I really think that would be extremely helpful to set expectations as well as modest goals, as you said. Yeah, just really just do exactly what you described. Yeah, I I really liked it. So you also have a minimum local marketing fee. So what types of local marketing have proven successful with with Griswold? Yeah, the most most important thing, and this is something we really look for uh, when we're meeting with folks that have an interest in, in becoming a franchisee, and that's that's the idea of them getting out from behind the desk. Mm. The most important marketing our franchisees can do is knock on doors and make relationships. Mm. As much as we try to build a great brand, you know, nationally, we went through the rebrand as as we talked about earlier. At the same time, nobody's going to trust just a brand with their mom's care. They want to talk to a person. They have to find someone that they connect with that they trust because that's the person they're going to put their loved one, you know, in the hands of. And so developing the relationships and the relationships can be with other folks in the healthcare ecosystem. It could be with uh, a church. It could be with, you know, a wealth planner or an attorney that uh, handles elderly law issues. It's just becoming a trusted resource in the community for everything around senior care. Interesting. That makes total sense. So what was really fascinating to me was your item 15. And that was kind of a surprise to me, some of the things. So I want to dig into a couple of questions. The first thing I noticed was that you strongly encourage spouses to also sign the franchise agreement. Would you mind talking about that? Yeah, that's very common. Uh, it, what we find is this is a great business for a husband and wife. Love that. And, and so many times uh, what we found is that uh, some, and again, I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but we have the men frankly, there's a reason why women are moms, that they tend to have more of that caring, more of that empathy, and they make great people to go out into the community. And sometimes the best back office process-oriented analytical side, and obviously this isn't 100%, but we found you know, great husband and wife partnerships when they combine those two, uh, those two aspects. Because you know, it's not just providing care, um, there is, there is running a business, uh, and understanding, you know, the back office, the the efficiencies and the processes contribute very much to a successful business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You definitely need all of that. And then you also require your franchisees to directly supervise, manage, and devote full time to the operation of the franchise. Is that also due to that care that's needed and those relationships that need to be built? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we want the face of the business to be a franchisee because they're the owner. Right. Uh, they can't just, you know, the last thing you'd want to do is have a marketing and salesperson develop all these relationships and then the next day decide they're going to leave and go do something different. And you don't have those connections and that relationships. And so that's why it's so important for the franchisee to be directly involved in a business that's all people. Mm-hmm. I can see that because if you think about, gosh, home care, I can't think of anything that's more personal or close to the heart than that. Absolutely. 
So when it comes to hiring employees, of course, we have joint employer you have to watch out for, but it has to be a tough market. Do you provide any type of assistance or best practices to help your franchisees? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is probably in the last 12 to 18 months, the biggest value add we provided to our franchisees. Uh, you know, again, we have a great team. We partner with some great partners. Hireology is our our hiring partner. Okay. And we have squeezed all the efficiencies out down to the point of what time of the day of which day of the week, you know, is the best time to update it a job posting. Wow. We've, we've run the metrics and, you know, we've learned that if we do it this versus this versus this, we've looked at the outcomes. Um, you know, we've really done a, a great job on a very analytical level to arm our franchisees, you know, with the ability to, you know, to beat their competitors in hiring people, because mm-hmm. that's what it boils down to. Well, that is so helpful because they're out there building those relationships and you're doing this heavy lifting for them. That's a wonderful, wonderful um, support system. Because again, it's not a, in the last, you know, 36 months, it hasn't been, a, it hasn't been the the client side. It hasn't been the phone ringing. It's making sure you have the staff right. to the business that comes to you. I can see that. So um, when it comes to your franchisees, are there any particular qualities that make for a great Griswold franchisee? Yeah, I actually have a little my litmus test. Yeah, you know, I, I must say it real quick, and then I can kind of explain it a little bit more. But okay. hey, but I work for you. In other words, does the person have kind of that leadership skills? Because you know, A employees don't like to work for B bosses. You know, would I trust you with my mom? Mm. They, do they share that empathy and and that kind of that Gene Griswold mission? ideal. Most great franchisees will tell you a story and it's usually a sad story about an actual experience they had with a loved one. And they came to this business to do a better job than the experience they had. When they share a story like that, we feel like we got a a good match. Oh, right. And we want money to be a motivator. Nobody goes into a business to not make money, but it can't be the primary motivator because the returns on this business are as much non-financial as they are financial. And so they have to take some of those dividends in the thank you notes they get from their clients' families uh, because, you know, it's a 24-7 business. And so, you know, if, if you're not in it for the right reasons, I think you get burnt out dealing with the challenges of the business. So it has to be something you really have a mission to do. You have thought through that for sure, Michael. Thank you. That was an inspirational response to that. So what are your future plans for growth? Yeah, the same thing. We do want to grow, uh, you know, geographically. You know, we're only in 31 states, so we have a lot of opportunity to continue to grow and expand. But, you know, we feel like we're in a great position because we're a 40-year brand and we have a successful base of franchisees that we're in a position that we can be more selective. We don't have to take a check to keep the lights on. And so we'd like to think, uh, you know, we do have competitors that are launching 30 to 40, and I'm not sure how you can attract that many great candidates. Mm-hmm. And I would be content with, you know, a dozen, you know, 15 great candidates rather than just signing up as many as I can, because it's not good for folks that if they're not successful, many of them 
uh, are, are you're going to have a material impact on their financial well-being if they start and don't succeed. Um, we'd rather say no and, and get people where have the highest confidence in. Makes sense. So, Michael, two last questions for you. So, first of all, what a career you've had, and just talking to you, you are perfect in the one you're at right now. But what are you most proud of? What I've been very fortunate with is, you know, attracting and, and keeping really great people. Mm-hmm. You know, the the one thing about, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you work, uh, you're only one person. And whether you work 40, 50, 60, or 100 hours a week, you really can't get that much done yourself. Right. So the only way you can really be successful is is bringing people to the team that that can carry all those hours forward. And um, that's that's by far uh, has been the reason for my success is really just the people I've been able to attract and retain. That's awesome. And my last question, is there anything you wish you had known before you started in the franchising world? You know, I think the most important thing, uh, and I don't think it can be overemphasized, uh, is, you know, is in the franchise world is, is just trust building. You know, the partnership that you have, you know, with your franchisees, you know, you, 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 you're only successful if they're successful. Right. And frankly, you know, most those people didn't buy a franchise because they wanted to be told what to do. They bought a franchise because they didn't want to be told what to do. <laughs> so the only way you can move the organization uh, together is to, you know, establish that trust and credibility uh, and not think you can just tell them. It's really about getting them to see the value of where you want to take them. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael. I wish you all continued success at Griswold and thank you no thank you Kathleen Franchise U is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville for more information on the center visit business.louisville.edu slash yum cgfe thank you for listening to Franchise U